All right, here we are. Thanks for tuning into Kia Conversations. My name is Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. So today I'm chatting with Hemet. He's got a really fascinating background from working at Amazon, then venturing into the startup world, going through an acquisition with Google, and now working at the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute which is actually a program born out of Google to help spread the benefits of mindfulness around the world. So he he provides a really great perspective on the mental fitness practices that he's acquired over the years to navigate this journey. So just a couple things before we jump in. If you're enjoying the conversations, please do give us a little love wherever you're listening. A review goes a long way. And lastly, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Keo, which is our daily reflection app. And all of these awesome guests end up in the app to help guide you through your reflection. So give it a spin. It's in the Apple App Store. All you have to do is search KYO. And thanks, as always, for giving us your attention today. Have the absolute best day yet. The first question is a loaded question. It's, it's who are you and what defines you? <laughs> Just well, to get things going. <laughs> start with the big ones. Um, so my name is Hamant Banu. Uh, what defines me? It's weird because I'm. It, it's funny how we, we get so used to telling stories uh, of like, oh, what do you do? And then you have this canned response that comes out. Um, and so I'm trying, I'm trying to avoid the, avoid the temptation to jump into that. Um, what are some of the things that define me? I think, uh, one thing that defines me is where I've grown up. Uh, I grew up in Singapore. I spent about 11 years of my childhood, uh, there in an international school in Singapore and then moved back to India when I was about, uh, 13 and did high school there. Uh, also at an international school, and then I came to the U.S. for college. Okay. So that that set of transitions is, in a pretty large way, a big part of my identity. Of course. Um, in terms of uh, sort of growing up in an international school um, environment, and then going back to sort of my roots in a way, uh, and not realizing until then what it felt like not to be, you know, in in a place where everyone looked like looked the same as me and, sure. and had all this shared stuff. Um, and then leaving again and sort of feeling never quite feeling like the definition of, Oh, where do you come from or where, you know, where are you from? Or th- so that's, I think that's a big part of a uh, big part of my identity. Um, another piece I guess is, uh, is being an engineer. Sure. Um, that's, it's something I've, I've loved, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've really loved um, programming and I've loved building stuff since I was a little kid. Okay. Um, funny enough, though, when I went to college, I uh, I met people who really, really loved to build stuff. <laughs> I went to Carnegie Mellon and it was, it was a pretty intense, I mean, a lot of people that came to Carnegie Mellon, especially to do computer science, you know, that was their entire life. Um, and they were amazing at it and had been doing it for, you know, since they were 10, 11, 12, as had I. Uh, but I felt like it didn't define my entire set of hobbies. Sure. Uh, and so actually I spent a couple of years 
being like, oh my gosh, I don't know that I want to do computer science, even though I love it, but I, but how could I ever compete with, or how could I ever, uh, be like these other people? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until my first internship, um, or co-op program basically, uh, when I was sort of working in the real world and was like, oh yeah, okay. Here's a bunch of people who are really smart and I love what they do. Uh, and they have lots of hobbies and other things that they spend their time doing. And then I kind of, in a way, made my way back from computer engineering to a little more computer science. Okay. Um, and then uh, it's funny. I never. It, it was only recently, a couple of months ago, that I that this came to me. But when I was young, the I, like I said, I loved to build stuff, and I loved um, I loved computer stuff as a kid. And and the stories that always moved me. Um, were stories of people that had uh, that had left everything to go on sort of an inner quest. And so, when and did it, that come up? Sorry, what point of your journey did that? Just, I mean, it was it was just when I was a little kid. Okay. Um, you know, my mom was on her own spiritual journey. Sure. So I have two older I have two older siblings, a lot older than me. So by the time I came around, I think my parents had you know already. It, they were pros yeah, one, yeah. <laughs> at the parenting thing. And then B, it was also a little later in their lives. Sure. Um, so, so I got to see my mother going through, you know, on the spiritual journey and she had lots of books on sort of spirituality and religion and stuff at home. And so I remember reading books of like autobiographies of, or biographies of people who, you know, right from like Gandhi, mm-hmm. um, to, to sort of the yogis who had, who would like go up into the mountains kind of thing. And I remember those stories being ones that really moved me, sure. uh, moved me to tears of the idea of, of sort of leaving everything to go on this quest. And, um, but, but it's, it was so outside of the realm of probability and possibility for my life that it yeah. wasn't, it was just like, Oh, that's a moving story. And it, it was never something I really thought about until very recently. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that the, the two things that that really that I loved doing when I was a kid was reading those kind of stories and then yeah. doing engineering stuff. And and through some crazy twist of fate, like uh, I don't know that I've renounced and given up everything, but but yeah. my, but my life, uh, you know, is in, is definitely inspired by those stories. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, and because I think. I mean, there's lots that I'd love to, to chat with you about on that on that topic. And it, w- one question that comes to mind, though, is that you, do you think you, you have to go through? I mean, there, there's the transition of when you're you're very young and you're interested in in all of those you know quests and and finding kind of that inner it sounds like that inner purpose. Then you get out into let's let's call it the uh, adult world or whatever we want to call it, right? And you're you're at Google, you're at Amazon, you're doing, you know, you're doing your, your, your bits. Um, you have to kind of go through that journey and then you, you get to some sort of realization or, or some sort of reflection point. Um, and like to your point, it, it comes back to, right. Some of those, those inner thoughts or those, those thoughts when you're a kid. Cause even I'm finding with myself with Keo that like, you know what the underlying idea or principles behind this whole business and app has started many, many years ago as, as the onion, the layers of the onion keep peeling back. It's like, I'm not surprised thinking back now. Right. But you don't see it honestly as, as you're going through, through the journey. So I wanted to ask you like, what, 
is one of the questions was how, how did you transition from, let, let's call it kind of a typical software engineer to doing work with, um, in mindful, in the mindfulness space. And it sounds like you're still, you still have some engineering going on there. I think you're staffing up a team and whatnot. So, you know, it still lives, but how, how did that transition happen or what sparked that transition? I'll first narrow in on something you said of like a typical software engineering career. Sure. Like, how did you leave that? So I'll, I'll narrow in on that and then I'll, I'll, I'll address the, the mindfulness part sure. in a sec. So I think, but first off, I've been super lucky in life. Um, I think I've been really lucky in terms of, uh, you know, being brought up with like a great education and sure. being able to go to great school and then getting a job at Amazon. And I, I was, was very lucky to be on a team that was uh, kind of in the center of a lot of stuff at Amazon. And so I had, I had, again, really good opportunities there. Um, And it was, it was interesting. You know, I had an, uh, like I said, so I told you a little bit about my, my growing up. And um, so I never, I never felt like I'd lived in India, because I was in this sort of sheltered, went to an international school. So kind of not really, yeah, didn't feel like I got the authentic experience. Um, and I'd seen so many people, so many immigrants from India come to the U S and be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go back in, you know, in a few years. And then they didn't cause they just got, you know, uh, caught up in life here and then they always regretted it. And I said, that's not going to be me. Sure. I'm going to go back to India before I turn 30. And, um, and so I had this, uh, you know, a crazy story, but I had this opportunity to go back to India to help Amazon open an office there. And it was, okay. it was again, totally lucky. Uh, Amazon is generally not a very, um, uh, like it's kind of siloed. So they're not very open about different projects going on. Sure. So I remember saying to someone, Hey, you know, I've heard that, uh, that Amazon's opening an office in India. Do you know anything about it? And, um, and they're like, no, no, I haven't heard anything. And then I said, Oh, you know, my fiance is going back to do, it's kind of like a, a teach for America or peace Corps type of, sure. Not, not exactly that, but that kind of opportunity. And I said, oh, she's going. And so I'm just, I'm thinking I'll just go bum around in India with her and like go find my roots. And, and suddenly this guy is like, oh, well, let me see what I can do. And a week (laughs) later I had a job offer to go help start an office there. I mean, to be part of the engineering group of engineers that went there. And uh, it was a huge pay cut. And I went over there anyways, because I had another reason, you know, for going there. Um, And when I came back, uh, I, I spent about a year and a half there and I came back to the US and it's interesting because on one hand, there was a particular software engineer track, um, sort of highly technical track that I was on and going to India, um, I, I sort of left that, uh, that nexus of, you know, of people and of technology and I went and did something, you know, it was a very entrepreneurial kind of experience in India. Yeah. And I came back and I was, and I, I sort of saw firsthand that in some sense I had sacrificed, of course, money because I had I'd, you know, given up a lot of salary to go to India, um, but also sacrificed this particular trajectory. Yeah. Um, but then I, I came back and I, I sort of realized for myself, oh, you know, if you're, if you're doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, you're going to see the same things and you're going to have the same opportunities that everyone else is Okay. seeing and, and having. And, you know, is that, is that how I want to live? Um, and so it wasn't, it wasn't sort of like, let's be different for the sake of being different. But I realized that because I'd gone to India and come back, the exposure that I'd gotten through that 
course. sort of gave me a different set of eyes through, through which to see the world. Sure. So fast forwarding a bunch and getting back to your question about mindfulness, um, I, I didn't leave Google to pursue something in the mindfulness space. Um, okay. When I was at Google, uh, I kind of happened, again, totally lucked into doing this sort of work at Google where, um, so I'd, I'd worked at a, I left Amazon actually to start a company, did that for about a year and a half and it didn't work out too well. Sure. So after about a year and a half, I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to shut this down. My old manager from Amazon had been a big supporter of what I was working on. He was also starting his own company. And so when he saw that I was winding things down, he said, Hey, why don't you come work with me? So I started working with him and, um, at his startup. Uh, as the first employee and then that grew and we grew that pretty large and then that got bought by Google Okay, when we got acquired by Google um, it, it was like a rough transition period because going from you know a 20 person startup <laughs> to like a 30,000 person sure. company uh, Even though it's an amazing company was you know was this adjustment anyway, so uh, So I'm there and I take this class called search inside yourself, which I'd heard about and the is a hard class to get into the way it, the timing worked out was that before I took the class, about three months before I took the class, I went on um, a 10-day silent retreat. Okay. Uh, this is the this first is, time, right? This is the second time I'd done one. So I'd done one, I'd done one when I quit my uh, job at Amazon right before I started my own company, and I, I loved it. I loved the okay. retreat. It was mind-blowing. And then I said to my wife, I'm about to have a, we're about to have our first kid, you know, about a year, yeah. a, a little less than a year into uh joining Google. And I said, life's going to end. I don't know if I'm ever going to get time to do this again. Please let me go. So sure. I leave her six months pregnant. You know, I'm still, I'm still paying that one back. Yeah, of course. Um, and so, so I go for 10 days, come back. And again, it was an amazing experience. And, uh, this particular retreat, they say, okay, can you, uh, spend two hours a day meditating an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. That's how you keep up the practice. And, and that, that was basically next to impossible. Um, but when I came back, I saw, okay, I have 100 days until my daughter is born. I'm just going to do it because yeah. that's like this window I can commit to. So I was doing a lot of meditation and I took this class about mindfulness and it blew my mind. I loved, I loved that it just explained all of these concepts that I'd, I was starting to experience firsthand through my own practice. Um, it was just describing them in a very easy to digest, easy to understand, and most importantly, easy to explain to others way. Sure. Um, and again, it's something I had, like I'd done these practices as a kid, I'd done them through through college and high, through high school and college. And then, so anyway, so then it all came together in this class. And then again, I wasn't, I had just joined Google, so I wasn't very connected in the mindfulness or any other communities at Google. Um, but a couple of months later they said, hey, we're looking for volunteers to help us with this class. So I, I just said, hey, this is my background. I'd love to help out in any way I can. And, um, I think only like 12 people applied. Uh, and so they accepted all of us to sure. basically facilitate the class. Okay. And so we went through this training and then got to start facilitating the class. Uh, and again, just a beautiful experience uh, to take to take something that was so meaningful to me and get to share it with coworkers. Yeah. Um, and then our mutual friend, Kelly Boys, okay. <laughs> very, very recently after that, she, she was helping... Um, she was working at Silly, and she was helping organize the first external teacher training. Okay. And uh, and she said, "Are you interested?" And I said, "You know, it's this expensive thing. This is a hobby for me. I don't want to make money from it. It's 
sort of profession. And she's like, well, just come. You're doing it at Google anyways. Just come join us and see what happens. And and the best thing I did, again, uh, attended that. And, and it was this year-long training. And I got to meet all these amazing people. Sure. Um, including people who had who had taught for decades, taught meditation for decades. And, you know, even the first, even when we went through it at Google, the training, all of us were asking the question, who am I to be teaching this? Yeah. And then to, to be in the company of people who had been teaching it for decades was even more so, who am I to be teaching this? And at the same time, it was really, uh, trying to find the right adjective here, but it was really both humbling and in a way, uh, liberating or confidence building to see that that there was still something that I could add to the conversation sure. because of my experience and because maybe in the way that I could relate to an audience, sure. even though I was much more earlier on this journey. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going. I'm sort of telling the long version of this. No, this is great. I have a few questions, so, so continue though. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so fast forward. Uh, I, I got to facilitate this at Google. Then I left Google, and I left not. It wasn't to do with mindfulness. I left because uh, somewhere along my journey, I'd caught the startup bug. Uh, as I was leaving Amazon, and as I mentioned, you know, I'd seen that this there was there was this particular trajectory, and I wasn't I was no longer inspired by let me uh, sort of climb the next rung in my career ladder. Sure. Uh, although I still love and I have always loved building stuff, I just didn't see that I wanted to be like the next level of engineer and what it took and, and what, so it kind of came up again when I joined Google of where I'd gone from being in this environment where I was getting to do, you know, everything from designing a product to selling it to sometimes selling something that didn't exist because I was the one that was going to go build it. And then sure. I was the one that would get paged when it broke. So having a really broad set of responsibility like that to going to any big company where you're back to specializing. And that was like a difficult transition, I think. And as I looked around, what I, uh, this was a scary thing, and it still is a scary thing for me, which was, I looked around at every job ladder. Um, and there was no job ladder or, or role or word, or title that inspired me or that that, that called out to me and said, this is what I want to be. Okay. Uh, regardless of whether it was even a possibility or not. It was like, do I see myself as an engineering manager, you know, let's say up the ranks a couple mm -hmm. of, no, that doesn't, that's not inspiring to me. Do I want to be a product manager? No, that's not inspiring. And so I kind of, the only job description that captured what I love doing uh, was entrepreneur. And I got to a bunch of these entrepreneurial roles at Google where I would basically like come up with an idea uh, you know, design something and, and get to pro prototype it, got a couple of people to work on it part-time anyway. So, yeah. uh, but that, that long-term, like I couldn't keep doing that cause there's no job ladder, right. That lets sure. you do that at a big company. So I left, I left basically saying, well, let me go figure out what I want to do next. So I left, I didn't have a plan. Um, wow. except that I had some buffer to take time off. Okay. But that's a big step. I mean, what was the, uh, sorry to interrupt you there, but I, I, I'd love to learn a little bit about just making that decision. Was it just, again, looking at the different job roles and whatnot that weren't resonating with you that, you know, said, okay, it, like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is what was the question or the reflection that you went through to say, all right, I'm actually going to do this and take the yeah. time, right? So a lot of people go through that process, but don't, don't actually take that giant step. Yeah. Well, I think, 
probably at the core of it, again, is that I've been very lucky and I, I got to this point sort of at a very practical level. I think I, I mean, I experienced a midlife crisis, okay. right? And, but the midlife crisis wasn't about age. It was about getting to a place in your life where you have the luxury to take your foot off the gas for a bit. Sure. And as soon as you do that, or as soon as I did that, it brought up all of these questions for me. Um, sure. And it was clear that I had kind of a couple of options. I could, I clearly what I was drawn to um, wasn't a known career path yeah. <laughs> at Google, at a big company. And so um, I could either go figure that out somewhere or I could uh, sort of do what I knew it took to be successful. Okay. At a, um, and actually, funny enough, I a couple of times, uh, at least once when I was at Google, I said, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to put my head down and, and work just on this software engineering problem and I'm not going to try to think about product and user, you know, I'm not going to think yeah. <laughs> outside of entrepreneurial. The, outside of, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just couldn't, I, I, I joined a team with the intent of doing that and then I just couldn't help but start seeing these possibilities. So, um, so anyway, so I said, well, I could, the combination of recognizing that choice and then recognizing that I did have the luxury to take my foot off the gas for a bit. Yeah. Um, I think gave me the comfort to say, okay, I'm going to do this. Okay. And I think again, just having been in the right place at the right time and having a skill set that that's generally pretty marketable, I felt like um, that I could leave in worst case, like I wasn't going to starve. Sure. Um, although I have to say that, you know, the first time I quit my job at Amazon, you know, I quit. I, I loved my job um, as working for the CTO and had this just had an amazing, amazing role that I loved. And I had this fire under my butt that I needed to go work on this idea. Um, and a few months later, I remember my wife had quit her job and she was in grad school and I was sleeping in her dorm room, uh, at Berkeley, uh, cause I'd moved down there after quitting my job. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and then in cold sweat for the first time yeah. in my life. And I remember waking her up and saying, are you sure you should have married me? Like, we're just going to end up homeless. Like, I don't think this is worth sure. it. You know, it was that, just that raw fear of, yeah. Um, and so I still had that in a way, but I knew that I'd done it before yeah. and I knew that that wasn't a rational fear in terms of, you know, in terms of like, I wasn't going to starve. I wasn't going to leave my family sure. with a certain level of confidence there for sure. Yeah, confidence yeah. or yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. You can say confidence. Um, well, confidence in your, in, I don't mean confidence in a, in a cocky way. I mean, in a, you know, you've you're confident in yourself that you'll make it work or you've right. You've been through it and yeah. you know, some of the emotions that are going to come and that you can release those and kind of push through and it'll all be fine. Yeah. And so, you know, one this, one of our friends, one of my close friends from Seattle, who's a school teacher, she, I remember having this conversation with her and she said, she was reflecting on one of our common friends who was, who was uh, a little hesitant to leave his, you know, cushy job and she said, you know, I know that, that with the, with my education, it doesn't matter what I, I do, I won't starve. Like I have, she, she sort of realized that, and, and, you know, she had made some career changes or not career changes, but some job changes as a school teacher, which is already not a very cushy, well-paying job. Mm -hmm. 
and to hear it from her that she was like, and I know I'm going to be okay. And then I, I, I thought to myself, you know, I'm so fortunate to be, to have this set of qualifications in this time, you know, in sure. the world where it's such in such high demand, like it's going to be okay. Um, and that doesn't at all change the fact that after I quit, like I would, I would wake up in the middle of the night, scared out of my pants, you know? Yeah, yeah, of um, course. But yeah, but sort of knowing that it's going to be okay. Yeah. Well, that's a, thank you for sharing all of that. I mean, I, I've written down a few, um, a few questions on, on that front. But one thing I think I'd like to point out, at least an observation from, from myself, I mean, you mentioned a couple times about how you're lucky, um, which I do, I do believe in luck, but having listened to what you at least told me, um, it sounded like you, you definitely set intentions for yourself, right? And it goes right back to the point when said, I want to go back to India and kind of experience that core and whatnot. And next thing you know, there's a, a potential opportunity, right, to go to India and, and do that. And it seems like it all really stemmed from there and, and setting those intentions and doing the going, going through the first entrepreneurial, you know, scene, let's say, and you know, you don't have to tell me how hard it is. It's, uh, you know, I have a new respect for anyone that, <laughs> you know, starts something on their own, whether it succeeds or fails. And I frankly believe there is no failure because you just, you learn so much. Right. Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I definitely believe there was luck in there, but I, the, the theme I was pulling out of it or could feel was that you're very clear on setting intentions for your, for yourself and, what you want to do or what you feel is right. And so I'm not surprised that, you know, these things have been coming up in your life. Um, I think it's an interesting insight about, about your, about your story. And it's, it's refreshing. It's nice. It's nice to see it work like that. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I, sometimes it's nice to hear that from someone else. Like you don't always, it's hard to see yourself in that arc. <laughs> so thank sure. you for that. Uh, sure. That insight. So during all of those transition periods, were there, were there any practices or any, I heard, definitely heard questions come up that that's, that was a given, but were there any practices that you were doing to help you through mentally and physically, frankly, to, you know, deal with all the different emotions that were taking place and the stress and the excitement and all of it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I hate to be a one trick pony, but, <laughs> but this mindfulness, uh, this set of practices, I think, I feel like have shaped or have been pretty important to me. Yeah. Um, you know, when I left Amazon and I, uh, literally within a few weeks, within the first month, probably of leaving Amazon, I heard about this, uh, this 10 day silent retreat. And it was almost on a whim that I went, I literally, there were these three friends of mine who separately, uh, told me about this, you know, okay. within the span of a week. And all three of them are the most gregarious, most, like talkative people I know. And I said, wow, if those guys can do it, I can totally do it. Sure. That was my reasoning for going. And yet, you know, that was the first, first time I'd experienced that, um, that sort of depth of meditative practice. Yeah. And, um, and I don't think I was effectively, I don't think I was in a position to effectively deploy those skills after I came back from that retreat. What I mean by that is I came back from that retreat, it blew my mind. It really, I think it really shaped my thinking in a way. And yet, you know, the, the one thing you learn about these practices from the science and from, 
you know, from personal experiences, that it's a practice. It is a practice that, yeah. you know, that builds these capacities. So I remember, like I mentioned, that anecdote of waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweat and just that panic yeah. and not, not really knowing what to do with that. And then fast forward to, um, to more recently after I'd left Google and especially uh, after I left Google, there was that, that first year was actually not, it was hard in some ways, but it also, in a way it wasn't too hard. It was like this freshness and this excitement of, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to like, you know, I bought this camper van and I'm taking auto mechanic classes and I'm on this adventure. Um, and I just had another baby, (laughs) you know, so there was this excitement of all of these new, the newness of all of those things. And, uh, there was this group towards, you know, uh, about six, eight months in, I, or maybe a little longer, I got connected with a group of people, um, this group that started out called Zooglerpreneurs, you know, ex-Google entrepreneurs. Okay. Uh, and it was this amazing group of people um, that didn't feel like a regular sort of networking type thing. It was just people who had had this shared experience and, and dare I say, like shared guilt of, yeah. oh my gosh, did I just did I just throw away this winning lottery ticket of yeah. having very a job that's for all purposes, an amazing job. Yeah. Uh, but why am I doing this? Cause this thing, I don't even know this thing's going to work out, you know, that whole feeling. So, um, so I had that group of people to reflect off and stuff. And then when I moved to Austin, that was a particularly difficult time. Cause suddenly I didn't have that group. I didn't know anyone in Austin. We moved mm-hmm. from my wife's education and, uh, and I remember waking up again, waking up in the middle of the night and, just feeling this intense fear okay. uh, to the point where, you know, I would, there were some times when I had to like go to the bathroom and put cold water on my arms. Cause I just felt this heat of this, you know, yeah. this intense emotion in my body. Um, and so to be clear like that, that in a way that didn't change, like I still felt those emotions. And after many more years of practice, there was this knowing or this trusting that I didn't have to, that that didn't have to define how I saw myself or what I did. Uh, but that it was good. At, I mean, in a way, if I didn't feel that I would, I should be more worried, like, cause I had sure. taken a crazy decision. So this, it, just the framing of like, Oh, this is important information and I don't have to let it drive my decisions. Yeah. You're able to rechannel it. Yeah. And I think, but I think, intellectually understanding that intellectually is one thing but in that moment to be to be able to be with that was something i think that only you know years of practice sort of or or years of not just on the cushion practice but let's say smaller challenges where things came up and i would feel like guilt or fear or whatever and and being able to sit with those and say okay you know on a smaller scale and then i think that prepared me in a way for that yeah I, I'm really glad you shared that. And I think, I think that'll really help a lot of people because I don't know about you. And I, I'd imagine we have some similarities here when, when talking to people about these practices and mindfulness in general, um, you know, trying to explain the benefits, right? Cause it, it, I think to you and I is probably, it's so obvious, right? That it's just like anyone going to the gym and after, you know, years of training, I mean, you can do more with your body. I mean, it, People don't see that from a mental perspective mm-hmm. uh, in terms of their mental fitness. Or it's, it's starting to shift, uh, which is nice. Um, but I, I often describe it as, you know, you're able to 
kind of go up into the 40,000 foot zone of, of the sky and be able to look and, and kind of slow things down rather than make your decision or deal with what is kind of coming up. But that is a great, great example to, 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 to I think to inspire people, right? That just, just trust the process and it's doesn't, it, you know, it's not this taboo type, uh, you know, experience and, and this and that, and that there's so many people that are doing this. It just blows my mind. How is this not unlocked for, for everyone? Right. That, like, that's my frustration is there's usually two things that I'm, I'm chatting with people is, wow, this is, this is a life change. These are life changing practices and, and I'm grateful they've arrived in some way, but then how do you spread that? Right. Or how do you unlock that for other people? Yeah. You know, things that are, for the most part, either free or very low cost and with such high reward, right? So, so thanks for my, my long-winded comments. Thanks for sharing that because I think that's another example, and a very powerful example of, of people that people can grasp onto, right? And that are going through those those transitions because they they are hard. I mean, no, I know. I remember for myself, it was like, what's the worst that can happen? Leaving. I mean, I wasn't leaving Google. I was leaving pretty comfy pharmaceutical job um, that I enjoyed that, you know, that was going in a, in a good path, but I knew I'd regret not doing this. And the worst case scenario is I can go back and, you know, work for another company. It's didn't leave on bad terms, but yeah, and I'm, I'm glad because now I'm able to, you know, speak with people like yourself, which is <laughs> incredibly inspiring. So, so thank you. Yeah. And you know, you'd, uh, sorry, I was just going to add when this was sort of during the transition when I was, uh, I, I had almost decided that I was going to leave, but I was actually on paternity leave. And funny enough, I'd found a team that I really, really, really enjoyed. I mean, I, I, I liked a lot of my other teams, but this one, I was just like, Oh, it's, it's, yeah. I love the team. I love the domain. And so I was kind of second guessing and should I leave or not? And one of the exercises I did, um, you know, I'd done these, uh, I'm sort of bringing it back a little to journaling because that's that's sure. what you you asked me about. But um, I'd done I'd done variants of this of like how do you imagine yourself you know in n years or whatever, and um, I sort of posed the question to myself of at eighty, what will you look back on oh, wow. as a life well lived? Like what will be the the characteristics or um, qualities or you know of a life well lived? And that was the the list came up um short but super meaningful to have gone through that process okay and um and also sort of brought a new meaning to those words so for for me the list that came up was um health that i you know first and foremost i felt like i wanted to be healthy at 80 yeah. um but health in support of character i felt like i would just be in you know, given like when I have a cold, I'm crabby. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm not going to be very good at, at, uh, being this, you know, kind, whatever person if, uh, if my health is not good. So, so it was health in support of character and character in support of community and community in support of service. Love it. And, um, so that, that, it was interesting going through that process of like, well, you know, which one comes first and which one comes later and which one's most important. And, uh, but also gave new meaning to those words, like the idea of health, suddenly thinking about it on this, you know, 45 year old or 40, 42 year timeline mm -hmm. changed what health meant. 
And it changed to like, oh, yeah, I want to walk with a straight back and I want to be able to play with my grandkids. And, you know, like it just changed this vision of, oh, that's what I mean by health. Sure. Um, which is very different from how I normally, you know, think about it as like, oh, yeah, I want to get fit or, oh, I want to like. Yeah. Um, and then going through that exploration, what was interesting also was thinking about it as, you know, if that's who I want to be when I'm 80 or if those are the characters. It's not really who I want to be. There's, they're almost like uh, axes less than qualities. Yeah. But if that's what I care about when I'm 80, you know, the person I become is going to be based on my habits and the habits are going to be based on what I do. And so I better start doing these things. And, uh, and then it sort of changed to, okay, well, can I at least take one of these things off every month? And maybe in a few years, I'll start being able to take them all off every week and every day and, you know, and smaller and smaller timescales yeah. uh, to the point where every moment I'm living those four value, those four things. Okay. Um, and that also brought about this other question of like, well, what if I, what if tomorrow is my last day? Yeah. Um, you know, like what you can never really. So if tomorrow is my last day, then there's there's no way that I can actually complete all the things I want to do. Yeah. And this also brought about this interesting uh, dilemma that I'd had where in a way when I left and I was looking for like, what's this next thing I'm going to do? I want to do something meaningful in the world. And every time I'd have these grandiose ideas of meaningful stuff, um, the wrench in my thinking was this startup where it was just my best professional experience, the one that we sold to Google, just really amazing fun. And it was with this group of people and we just great group of people and amazing, like just an amazing experience. And we were selling, like we had built a platform for virtual currency, you know, okay. for letting people buy like silly little digital swords with digital gold coins. Right. Okay. And, you know, in a way we didn't, that wasn't something that was meaningful to any of us. We were just amazed that this was happening and, and yet there's something about how we did that and and what we brought to it uh that was amazing and so so when i changed the timeline from 42 years to to a day it even it kind of even brought to front and center the idea that yeah of course what you do and having meaning is important yeah um but i can't possibly accomplish anything in the next day so what is it that I'm going to bring? And it and then it turned into the how. It's like how I'm living. Yeah. Um, and that's, I mean, to me, that's much harder. <laughs> like even though right now I'm working in the mindfulness space and I'm doing something I love, um, I still, I know for myself that I fall back on my old habits so often. And the how of how I'm living each day um, is finally where the struggle is, you know. Uh, so I think it was really interesting when I went through that period to, to take that long view and then take the short view. Um, and then for me find like, okay, that the, what is important, it's important enough that I don't hate what I'm doing, that I can find some meaning in it. But yeah, finally it was the, the, how I'm doing the mundane, sure. um, that seemed to matter more than the what, or even maybe the who. Well, I think you found the why to add in the next, the, the next one, right? The overall why was determined and then kind of going backwards from, from there. Really interesting. Those are powerful questions. Um, I really like, I've, I, I've done the, um, 
like how do you want your how do you want to feel in your life to look like in three years or five years i've done that that process which is is fun right it's it's kind of like a dreaming yeah, yeah. state and you know don't leave any detail aside with with emotions and all that but i really like going to you know when you're 80 that i feel like that that's powerful right just just going that far out and, and reflecting there, then you really link that, you know, coming all the way back to the day. Like that, that whole process is very, very powerful. So thank you for, for, for sharing that. It's wow. Um, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about your work because yeah. uh, a lot of what we're trying to do is, 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 is similar in the sense of having conversations with people and using language and, and, um, examples and whatnot that are relatable right so that people can grasp what we're talking about and at least accept it or try something and then then that obviously opens them up to a whole other realm of of, of living and, and thought and whatnot so you've been doing this for a while um like what are some of the what are some of the things that you've found very practical or what are, maybe i'll ask a different question what are the differences when you're when you're teaching the, um, your courses, let's say in the Bay Area, where I'm going to make a, a little bit of a stereotype that a lot of those practices are probably a little bit more accepted um, versus some of the other places in the world as as we speak. Um, maybe not India because that's <laughs> where it all started, uh, frankly. But you know, let's say in New York versus San Francisco, for example. Um, like, is there anything anything you do personally to prepare for? presentation like that to try to be more relatable and try to you know really get that message across well it's funny you say that because so the first time I actually taught you know I, I'd done like a bunch of practice teaching and then we always co-teach the program okay. so it was, it was the first time that I was full-on taking on 50% of the load um, and it was in Tokyo and I said to myself, oh, my gosh, how, how are we possibly going to go again? Yeah. You, you sort of associate like because of Zen, you associate, sure. you know, this with Japan. And then all of these like, oh, well, it's this American program and we're going to come in and we're going to talk about this practice that's so rooted here. And what will people think? So that that was the first time. And sure. then subsequently have taught like in the Midwest, I've taught at small family owned companies at large, very, uh, conservative kind of companies, sure. um, at very, some very conservative organizations yeah. or what stereotypically conservative. And every time I've gone in thinking this is not going to resonate, how could this, you know, like what, it's just not going to land. Um, in a way I've been always proven wrong. Oh, that's <laughs> uh, nice. Gladly. So, sure. um, in the sense that a lot of, in a way, a lot of these practices are just very human. It's about how do we connect with other people? How do we see our shared humanity? Um, how do we see our own humanity uh, first and foremost? And I think not to overstate the practices or our program, because I think because of the way that our program is designed, we also have a very self-selecting audience. We tend to teach in places that are, although they might be geographically diverse, sure, and in some senses culturally, they're also part of a particular slice of monoculture, which is uh, generally very well-educated, yeah. reasonably affluent, 
um, you know, scientifically minded mm-hmm. kind of, kind of, um, that, that's the mindset of the people coming in. And so then when we do bring about the science, when we do talk about the science or the, the studies or the, the, you know, business examples that all that resonates with our audience, regardless of where we go. I think to answer your question though, in a, in a slightly different way, one of the things that always scared me about, about doing this work was, let me say it this way. When I first started teaching at Google, I was very aware that teaching, I was doing it in a very, very selfish way. Okay. Teaching was only in service of my own practice. Okay. In the sense that knowing that I had to get up in front of a room of people and talk about this stuff, there was a fire under my butt saying, you better, you better, you know, practice at depth 10 if you're going to teach depth one. Sure. And, um, so it was this very much the selfish thing of, I said, well, I'm, I'm teaching in service of my own practice. And it, what scared me most was turning into a talking head that just gets up and talks about this stuff sure. and that, that isn't able to talk from experience. And someone had this beautiful quote, uh, another guy at Google who I was chatting with, he said, sometimes when you try to crystallize truth, you end up fossilizing it. This idea that you get stuck to a version of the truth that you can see when and you get stuck there instead of continuing to dig and continuing to to see what the true experience is. Okay. And I think, you know, it took me I a lot of people when I quit Google were like, hey, you're you're really into this mindfulness stuff. Like, why don't you start a business in this? And you know, why aren't you? And I was always really reluctant to do that. And it was because well, one part of it is because I was really scared that I would I, I didn't want to turn into someone into a talking head, basically. Yeah. And um and I think so. Some of these, like that quote uh, that I attribute to this friend of mine and um, or this acquaintance of mine, and then this idea that that really the best we can do, and I think this is something that that Silly really reinforces in in all of our teachers is that we're not experts in any way going up there and talking about the stuff. Sure. Really, all we can do is to share ourselves, and the idea that the that your job is to just show up and be authentic and be you. Uh, and that some people will find value in that and inspiration and some people won't. And that's okay. And I think in a way, I think that's how I think about, uh, regardless of which audiences it is, is just being up there and being like, Hey, this is not, you know, this is, this is not a silver bullet. This is my experience. And the best I can do is share authentically with you what I've experienced firsthand and then point you to data that shows, you know, how other people have experienced this. Of course. Um, and I think that tends to resonate with people. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know how better to answer the question. No, I like that because it, it's, as you're saying that for me, um, it, it makes sense because it's, it's a, that, that makes sense in terms of teaching this material, but I mean, you can really should or could apply that to anything. In, in life or, in, or any topic that you're presenting, it really comes back down to what, like what you're saying is being true to yourself and, you know, g- giving the passion, giving the energy to whoever's in front of you, regardless of the topic and who's and, and the people, but you're showing up and you're giving it your all and sharing everything that you, you've got to, to share. And like you said, some will, some will resonate, some will not, and it's okay. 
right? So it's funny how it really comes back to, um, never thought of it this way, but it really does come back to to yourself and, and again, inside yourself being comfortable with, you know, what you're doing and how about you're, you're delivering these messages and whatnot. So, no, that was, that was really well, well, well articulated, I should say. Um, awesome. I want, I want to respect your time. So I'll, I'll start wrapping up. You've, you've definitely provided uh, a few really powerful questions um, to think about, but I'd, I'd love to see if there's anything that I'm missing from you because uh, as mentioned uh, on our last chat, we'll, we'll probably have about three questions within the app tied to this interview that people be able to add to their, their template when reading through the, uh, through the interview. So are there any other questions you want to uh, share that you ask yourself on a frequent basis or during <laughs> some of those life-changing events? Um, yeah, no, you know, I, I was thinking about this and I, the two that came to mind were, were the, the sort of long range and then the short, the short range views. Sure. You know, another, this, you can see if this fits into a question or not, but this kind of came up in the context of, uh, of parenting and, you know, like, uh, for example, making the decision to work for a nonprofit. And I remember, uh, you know, feeling a lot of anxiety around that and thinking, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not rich enough to be done. Like I still need to earn money. Sure. And, and what does it mean for my kids? Um, that I'm making this decision and, yeah. uh, I am trying to see how, how long of this, well, say a little bit. So, you know, I think my parents started their life in very, uh, sort of very humble beginnings. By the time I came around, like I said, I was, uh, they had me later in life. By the time I came around, I, uh, I think my parents were in a pretty comfortable situation. Um, but this mythology, this family mythology of this is where we came from was very present. Sure. And, um, and I think when you, when that's there, there's also this, uh, implied idea that it's sort of moral outrage to think about leaving your kids, not leaving your kids better off than where, than what you're, than what you have in a way. Um, and I remember just struggling with this idea of what does it mean that I'm, I'm making a choice mm -hmm. that may actually, you know, I grew up going to private schools and, uh, you know, and what does it mean that I'm not, that I'm making a choice that may prevent me from providing that for my kids. Uh, and I remember just really struggling with that and sure. breaking down into tears, thinking about like, what, what does that mean about me? Um, and, and I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've settled or that I've totally reconciled it, but I remember reading a quote somewhere that was something to the effect of, um, that the most valuable thing you can give your kids is a picture of a life worth living. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so I think sometimes that, sorry, I'm still getting emotional. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's really good. And so I think sometimes that idea comes up of like, well, since you know that your kids are going to pick up not on what you say and what you give them, but how you show up in the world, yeah. like what is, what is that example that I want to set for my kids and what, what do I want them to take away from how I live my life? Um, and that's a really tough one because yeah, I can, you know, you can say the big words, but then when you're at the dinner table and you're checking your email, 
you know, in those moments and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're kind of, I mean, I do this where yeah. I get caught up in my email and I'm kind of ignoring my daughter in that moment. And yet, like, those are the moments that added up over time, I think. Um, yeah. You know, even if I say like, oh, yeah, I, I took this courageous move and I'm doing this thing to show her how I'm how I want to live my life. Uh, I still don't give myself credit for that because it is those little moments, you know. Sure. Um, but I think I think the question in that is like, is what is the like, what are the examples that I want to set? And what are the values? What are the values that I want to see my child, uh, that I want my child to see me embodying? And I think some of those are on the larger timescale of like, you know, making these big choices. But I think not to forget that they also show up in those, you know, in the daily. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way, those are the harder ones. Yeah. Um, to do because it's not like a one-time thing and then you're like sweet i did it (laughs) yeah yeah but step one i mean you give yourself some credit on this one i mean step one is coming to that realization right um i thank you for that because i mean that's a being a new dad myself um that's something i'm really going to put into my own journaling practice Uh, i I like that i mean i'm feeling it already just even with the work that we're doing here is is already feeling really really nice and something that I'm, I'm proud of right as he grows up but I think first setting that intention and then I think this is where all the practices come into play right and as you keep doing more of your own reflective writing or your own meditation and keep coming back to those principles if, if that's what you're locked in then it naturally should just become easier right and then all of a sudden you're right I mean but we're human I think we have to you know, not right, be right. too hard on ourselves, right? Um, sure. And our kids will always let us know when we're not paying attention <laughs> that we can rely on. <laughs> yes, for sure. It's, it's funny. Even with a year and a half year old, uh, we can we can see it. Um, <laughs> if we pick up a phone or something at the table and he starts crying, wow, he actually knows we're not paying attention, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's no, a- the scary thing, the scary thing is that at some point when they're really young, like they'll complain, right? Sure. And the scary thing is when or or, yeah i just have this fear of well what about that time when they when they start to think that's normal sure and they no longer complain and then you're like oh my gosh that's so much worse you know (laughs) better that they complain you know and better that i put my phone down right now than that happens so that's where the cold sweat comes back (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh boy oh thank you that that was really good last couple questions so what makes you smile about your work i think um two things. One, when I teach, um, and you know, sometimes again, sometimes just this fear of becoming a talking head as well as when you do teach a particular set of content again and again, it's just like, Oh, do I have to say this? Not do I have to say this thing again, but it's like, yeah. it, it starts to feel a little like you, you are turning into like this broken record. Um, and yet the magic that happens in the room and then you see the impact on people's lives and, every now and then you get to hear that back directly from a participant. And that's, that really, that just nourishes me, um, for weeks afterwards, just basking in that afterglow. Um, so that's one thing. And then the second is, you know, sometimes these days, uh, the news can be a little overwhelming Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's days when I just look at the news and I'm like, WTF, like what, what else, what else could there be? Sure. And then, you know, the fact that we're lucky enough to be bringing wisdom and compassion practices to people 
I think really makes me smile. It really, it sort of gives me this little bit of, well, you know, uh, one man can't change the world. And yet, like, if you're, if you're pushing in the, in this direction that you think is, um, that's the right direction, sure. uh, that, that gives me this, <laughs> I don't know, false sense of comfort. Absolutely. <laughs> at, least, at least there's something, um, yeah. uh, and, and sometimes, especially, you know, when we get to go into organizations that, that really do have an, such a large impact on our world, um, just, just feeling like, okay, if I can change one heart and one mind in that organization, maybe that will have a ripple effect, uh, you know, through that person's, through the people that that person comes in contact with and so on. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's. Well, you, you just reiterated our, our purpose statement essentially. So I can totally relate to that. And, and that, that was really beautifully, beautifully said. So, so I'd, I'd like to acknowledge you. I mean, just for a, for, for sharing all these, these practices and stories and your mindset on let's, let's say life in general. Um, but most importantly for, for the years of taking those chances and coming out of, you know, comfort levels and, and pushing yourself, which is ultimately benefiting a lot of people worldwide because of those decisions and because of how your journey has, has shaped out. And, um, you know, I, I'm definitely not uh, your son or anything like that. We're probably closer in, in, in age, but I mean, I would, I can only imagine your kids must be very proud of, of the work that you're doing and your wife as well. So, so, and thank you from the rest of us in this world for, for doing what you do each day. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.